This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blattcast. Joining me now is musician Sarah Moon, whose website is sarahmoonmusic.com. She has a new song called Cut and Run, and... I believe the album is also called Cut and Run, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Yes, you are correct. The album and uh, and, and the self-titled song are all cut and run. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's good. It, keep, it keeps it easy, you know, and not, not everything can be as easy as uh, Bad Company, you know, who was Bad Company. They had the album Bad Company and the song was called Bad Company, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I but- guess with ceremony, ceremony, ceremony. <laughs> so, so if you, yeah, if you had done the self-titled and you had a song named after yourself, but you know what? I think "Cut and Run" is a is is a great way to go. Uh, I want to talk to you about that song and the, all the songs that I've uh, that I've been able to hear from the album. But first, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about your background as a musician, as a performer, and just you know, obviously, before you get to those points, uh, a lot of us start out as appreciators of music and then. There's some of you who are uh, fortunate enough to uh, be be skilled at actually doing it, while the rest of us just you know sit around and listen and, and talk to the people who do it. But I loved in reading your background, uh, it said that your influences included Etta James, Chris Cornell, which I have no no fault with either of those. You usually don't see them side by side. A lot of classic rock and a lot of old school blues, and. It all starts to make sense when I read that your parents worked in live music production. So start there. Talk a little bit about what they did. And I can only imagine the kind of, uh, you know, what was going on in the background of your life as a result of that. Yeah. So from the time I was about two years old, um, we were touring with bands. Uh, My parents ran a sound company. And so they were, you know, the one kind of running the show. Um, And they were not performers, but both of them are, are musically inclined as well. So I grew up, you know, touring and, and just being surrounded by music and a really diverse um, amount of genres, you know, anywhere from like jazz and blues to rock to top 40. Um, so it was, um, it was a really unique and fun way to grow up. And then from there, I ended up joining a children's choir when I was very young. I think I was in like fourth grade or something. And oh, that's wow. Okay, so let me let me put a pause on that because where does it go from the point of like, oh, there's music around in my life, I like to sing, to hey, why don't you get up on stage and sing? Was there is there that moment, or was it just uh, was it something that that you asked to do, or did it just naturally happen one day? How does how does uh, you know just going from from being you know passively watching music and singing to it uh, just uh, turn into being a performer? Oh, well, I used to get pulled up on stage by some of the bands when I was little, like, <laughs> sure. I, you know, right. so I'd go up for like the encore song and clap along and sing along. I mean, I didn't have a mic or anything, but, you know, just go right, up right, sure. and, and be in the show. And uh, well, the, the children's choir thing started, my music teacher in grade school was, was pivotal in me becoming a singer. So she had founded a children's choir. And I grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota, which is, you know, most people have driven through the state. Not a lot of people have spent a lot of time there. But anyway, she uh, encouraged us to audition for the choir and, and you know, gave anybody who wanted a voice lesson after school um, to learn how to audition. You know, I mean, we're little kids. We didn't know how to, how to sing the song, let alone audition. So she taught us how to sing. I think it was, uh, you know, America the Beautiful or something like that. Sure, that yeah. Audition. 
And um, I went home and told my mom I wanted to audition for a children's choir. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, uh, what? And just, I think she assumed that it was, you know, for people who had had a background in it, but really it was a, it was a great starting point. Yeah, it sounds like it. So uh, it's interesting, the, uh, the background from what you mentioned, you know, South Dakota, I grew up in New York and I've lived in LA for 20 years. But when I moved from one to the other, I drove cross country and probably see where this is going because uh, one of the places that I was like, when would I ever possibly have another opportunity to go to Mount Rushmore? So I've been to South Dakota. I uh, went to a uh, famous Dave's barbecue restaurant. I went to uh, I went to Mount Rushmore. I saw the, the crazy horse um, sculpture that's not far from there. And I had a wonderful time, but you know, that that's my experience with South Dakota. And uh, it seemed, you know, I drove through a lot of it. It seemed beautiful, you know, uh, but I, I guess you really kind of get the feeling though. It probably wasn't that close to a lot of other places. Yeah, you mentioned your parents working with a lot of musicians. Did a lot of bands come through there or was it more that uh, they would kind of travel around maybe even if it was just the Midwest or whatever? It was a bit of both. So when I was little, we were touring up and down the West Coast. So we did okay. Vancouver, BC, Seattle, Portland, and LA, and just kind of back and forth for about sure. four years. And then, um, you know, when we relocated back so I could start school and stuff like that, um, <clears throat> then it was local festivals and things like that mostly. Um, but my dad, you know, he'd get these really cool gigs, like casino gigs or whatever. And, you know, so he'd been, be doing sound for all these old greats, you know. And so as a kid, it was cool. I got to see, you know, all sorts of really inspiring performers. Yeah. And I'm sort of wondering, obviously, you get that opportunity. You're around live music and, you know, you start uh, performing at a relatively young age. Do you remember the first time you were like, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so is going to be in town or is going to be, you know, this far away where you actually bought a ticket or, you know, paid your way in to go see someone. Do you remember what the first one of those was? I do. I was actually like super pumped anytime somebody came to the big arena, you know, we had like a 10,000 person in my hometown and um, it was Bon Jovi. It was my first paid concert, you know? Right. Yeah, and I was yeah. trying to get my parents to let me see GNR, but they were both working the show, and I was little. <laughs> they were like, I don't think you're going to the show by yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it's a great point. Yeah, it's also like, you know, this, you're going to be there by yourself, and then, you know, somebody's mm-hmm. going to take a picture of Axel, and he's going to jump into the crowd, and, you know, then they're going to have to worry, you know. Uh, Whereas like now Axel, like they start early, you know, he, uh, you know, they, they play like three and a half hours, you know, it's not, I, I saw them a couple of times in the heyday. I remember seeing them in 1991, uh, Soundgarden opened, which I mentioned because you mentioned Chris Cornell. It was at yeah. Madison Square Garden and I still have the ticket. It's really faded, but it says around eight o'clock because they're not promising right. you when it's going to say it's around eight o'clock. <laughs> and, uh, and I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of large stadium shows, but uh, probably the best I went to was uh, Faith and More Metallica Guns N' Roses in 1992. Yeah, yeah, it was like, it was like, I don't need to see anybody else all year. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's um, hard to top that. Well, I yeah. feel like, you know, at this point, you know, after pandemic, <laughs> everybody's just like, can we start a show at six? And can it end by like eight? And yeah. then... 
then we're all just going bad. <laughs> yeah. And 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 what's the what's the vibe on wearing either yoga pants or pajamas to the concert? Are people going to be okay with that? Can I wear flip flops? Is that going to be all right? Yeah, it's a it's a lot more laid back than it used to be. I yeah, thought about that until you said it. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, so now. Um, so getting to see Bon Jovi, I mean, that's that's got to be great. So, you know, I grew up in the in the New York area and it was a big deal. It was like there was a lot involved to go and see a band in New York City. So when they would play like the county fair closer to where I lived, we you know, we would see everybody. There was one summer, the summer of 1990. I saw Kiss, Aerosmith and Whitesnake all in like a month. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't need to go in the city for a while. You know, it's like you when you actually got it to come close, you know, that uh, that that must have been great. And obviously Bon Jovi would be one of those bands that would tour very extensively. Yeah. You know, but you always hear about bands that, you know, really built up, you know, like in kind of the early days, I think, you know, a band like Kiss that would go on and become huge. They would play a lot of like some, some of those more in between places. And even to this day, when somebody does a really extensive tour. I think the people appreciate like, oh, you mean I don't have to drive six hours to, you know, Chicago or, you know, Detroit or something. Yeah. So that, yeah, that must've been great. Well, and in the Midwest, um, not a lot of stops, right? So there's Minneapolis, yeah. but then there's Denver. And so Rapid City is kind of that in-between point where we'd get a lot of really good, good acts through there. It's funny you mentioned Kiss, you know, my dad, has the story that his band, when he was whatever in his twenties, they were supposed to open for Kiss. It was like, oh, great! Right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. When they didn't perform without their costumes, and their costumes got sent to the wrong city, and they like pulled the show, so he didn't even get to open. I was like, devastating, you know? Like you just, oh my gosh! Um, I, I, told everyone you're I, opening yeah i never thought about that like because you know like now sometimes it's like oh you know the the gear is not going to get here in time all right we'll go to guitar center we'll rent stuff yeah. but yeah at that time if like kids don't have the outfits it's like sure they could put the makeup on but they're not gonna it's they're not, not gonna not come out oh <laughs> like my gosh yeah. <laughs> so uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the touring with the children's choir and sort of obviously, you know, there's probably going to be a very specific vibe for the music that you would do there. But when does that kind of transition into, you know, you've already at the age of, I guess, what is that, like 10, 11, been exposed to so much music where you're like, this is fun, but I'd really like to, you know, sing jazz, sing rock, sing, you know, country, sing whatever. Absolutely. So yeah, I toured with the children's choir and it was, um, I can't remember the age groups, but you could only be in it from like fourth through ninth grade. Like that was oh, okay. it. So I was in it that whole time, but then I was also in other choirs and singing in, in bars with bands as well. So I was like the high schooler that was, <laughs> <laughs> I knew the musicians and, and sometimes they'd, get, they'd throw me a bone and say, Hey, why don't you come sing with us? You know? And so yeah. I, got my start um, doing a bit of, of just bar work as a singer. And in addition, so I was doing this like classically trained, you know, um, religious for the most part music in the choir world. And then I would go in the nightclubs and <laughs> sing blues. So it was, it was pretty fun. And I, you know, I grew up uh, singing a pretty big variety of music coming from South Dakota. I was a little like, anti-country i mean now i'm <laughs> i was like country and yeah. uh you know i sung blues i sung jazz i even sung some like gregorian chant at one point and then i wow. was by um some people at the met so i have like a, a opera background as well which you could you can kind of hear when you uh when you listen to the album yeah absolutely no i mean there's a 
there's a, a, a wide range, you know, I, 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 as I was listening to the songs on the album, I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that it sounded specifically like these bands, but I would listen to some of the songs and I'd be like, oh, this is kind of like a, this is like a bit, bit of a Billy Idol vibe. And like, oh, this sounds like, a, this sounds like a heart album track, you know, and, and just like musically. And it's like, oh, okay, we're slowing it down, you know? And I was just thinking about like some of the very, you know, and this was like the crazy, I, I, I actually, I made a note because, so I don't want to say the wrong song. There was a, a one of the songs, we're talking about the album Cut and Run and we're chatting with Sarah Moon here. Uh, yeah, so the song that you have, uh, Only You Stay, I was listening to it and I, I re-listened to it and I was like, all right, there's like a little bit of a, of like a Foo Fighters vibe. And then I was like, oh, that kind of feels like uh, like Queensryche kicks in. And I'm like, all right, I'm just crazy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome. well, yeah. so, right. I know. Yeah. And I mean, it's especially because, you know, uh, there's there's some some high notes, obviously, in, in a number of these songs. And when you think of uh, Queensryche, the singer Jeff Tate, I mean, it's one of those, you know, glass breaking guys, you know, like <laughs> like Mariah Carey, you know, sort of like just those notes that you hit and you're like, yeah, I don't know how they, they do it. And uh, it, you can hear so many influences, though. That's why I started jotting it down while I was listening, because yeah. I was like, you know, sometimes you're like, OK, yeah, you can you can kind of tell the, you know, the three or four bands that were the most influential to a musician. And I'm like, oh, I'm just hearing lots of everything. And then when I read that, you know, you, your parents worked, you know, in the music industry, I'm like, oh, yeah, you must have heard a little bit of everything, you know, just from growing up, but then also getting classically trained. I mean, you said that that led to like opera, but there must have been so much more from that experience, right? Well, I, I just wanted to touch back on what you said. You know, it's interesting that everyone I talked to about the album has a different ear for it, a different, they, they hear different influences. The funny thing is, is that heart keeps coming up and, and um, you know, heart wasn't necessarily something I was going for, but I keep getting compared to them because. Yeah. And, 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 and because I want you to understand it's a compliment. It's like Barracuda heart. Not all I want to do is make love to you heart. Not like late eighties heart. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking, yeah. 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 Well, and it's funny because in, you know, during the pandemic, we had demoed the album and we were recording the album like as soon as we were able to kind of all be in the same room at the same time. And so the songs were written, everything was done. But simultaneously, I was hired by a band called Barracuda to play Nancy Wilson. So I'm in a heart oh, tribute wow. band, but I play Nancy. <laughs> so, oh, that's so funny. I mean, the blonde, right? But um, yeah. so it was kind of random that people keep bringing it up. But, you know, I think that it's it's a huge comparison and and, you know, obviously an honor to be compared to those powerhouse vocalists. So, yeah, you know, I think for me, just uh, to answer your question about kind of the training aspect, it, I just was so motivated to sing that I would just grab onto any opportunity that came my way. And there is a ton of amazing musicians in the Midwest. There's not a lot of time, you know, there's not a lot else to do, right? So you kind of yeah. hope your craft or you do whatever. And so, you know, any opportunity that would come along, um, you know, like I said, like it's a jazz choir, it's a, you know, I won some competitions or placed, you know, second, third in competitions. And that would lead me to, um, to get, you know, like the prizes were extra training from amazing vocalists and things like that. So I just kind of latched onto all of it. Um, and that's kind of what shaped the voice that I have today, you know. 
Well, and I would assume that so much of it is just, you know, playing. You're talking about being classically trained, but there's also the training of singing in bars from a young age and on through there and, you know, just sort of getting a feel. Uh, you know, I I clicked uh, one time too many going through some of the, the YouTube stuff. And I, 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 I found I it's from, a, I don't know, what is this, 2023? So it was like more than a decade ago, I guess you were doing maybe it was like a reggae version of seven nation army. Oh, That's yeah. you. Right. I, I wanted to make sure I'm actually, that was actually you. And yeah. I was like, Oh, this is so different. You yeah. know? And I, I was like, you know, you know, you're talking about being in a, in a hard tribute band. I think a lot, I've, I've seen a lot of great tribute bands. A friend of mine used to produce a show for access TV that was called the world's greatest tribute bands. And I would go to the tapings and I'm like, wow, these oh, are great. Yeah. Some of my friends were on that show. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, I got I got to I got to know her really well. I got to know some of the bands really well, you know. And it was like an excuse to go to the whiskey once a week and yeah, get a couple of, get a couple of free drink tickets. You know, what am I going to say no? But uh, and you know, it was always so impressive. But in terms of you know recorded covers or sometimes when you see a, a band live, uh, when somebody puts like such a different spin, you know, I mean, it's like. The one that comes to mind is, you know, I know he's uh, somebody that is very problematic right now. But when you think about the first time you heard the Marilyn Manson Sweet Dreams, you're like, what happened to this? You know, <laughs> like what did, what happened to this song? You know, and just really different. And and I always use the example that as much as I, I love the band Weezer, they did a cover of Africa by Toto. And it sounds exactly like Africa by Toto. Yeah. And I was like, you guys have such a great sound. Why would you do that? You know, why wouldn't you like to a Weezer version of Africa. It's a great song. You don't change the song entirely, just arrange it in a different way. So when I heard that, sorry to go kind of round around there, uh, that it was just like, was an interesting way to take the white stripes and go like, yeah, but what if I really like slowed it down and did that? Uh, so is, is that just an example of like, well, sometimes we're just having fun trying to figure out what works or uh, what, how do you, how does something like that come about? It doesn't even have to be about that performance in particular which I yeah. realized is from like 13 years ago. Well, that song, you know, I was in a band called Sarah Moon and the Night Sky at that point, And we did a handful of covers and we wrote a lot of our own material as well. But um, I was just kind of inspired by that song. And I really just, we just funked it out. <laughs> we just did our, yeah. own, our own thing with it. And it was so fun to sing. And so like, for me, I'm also like, you know, anytime I can sing like Great Gig in the Sky, like I can just go with some soaring notes. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> I, that's, that's kind of where I took it. You know, I was like, it's it's similar-ish to, um, there's an artist, I think she's based out of the UK named Alice Russell. And she has a slightly different version than the original version. And I was like, you know, inspired by both like, all right, where could I take this? And, you know, that song is so catchy and people know it, you know, and um and just to make it a little bit more raucous. So it, it has that White Stripes raucous, but also has this sort of like soul vibe. Yeah, no, I think it, it's it's very cool when you can capture the spirit and kind of do it a little differently. I know some people don't love the the rock band with an orchestra and sometimes it works better than others, but yeah. you know, Def Leppard have an album, I think it's actually out today. And when you hear it, sometimes you're like, oh, that's so cool. Like when it's done well, it's amazing. When it's like, Okay, so they like did the song regular and then they're, they're trying to play quieter so that you can hear the orchestra. That doesn't work as well. But when it's done well, it's such a cool thing, you know, to to get like listen to all the all that instrumentation on top of this, you know. And uh, I, I don't know, I always think it's cool to uh, see what somebody else decides to do. You know, it's almost like 
it probably wouldn't sell, but it, it would be it would be great to you know have have like an, an album you know, digital or something of like all right, let's have ten artists do their own interpretation of the same song and see you know how very different they can be. You know. Yeah, I'm kind of working on a little side project. It's just like a I get these harebrained ideas. It's called um, Unexpected Duets where I'm partnering with people just on songs that I want to sing that wouldn't really fit with, you know, the Sarah Moon band or any of my sure. other. And so I'm just doing these one-offs and, and it's all new musicians each time. It's a different song, a different genre. Um, and so I just did my first one of those. Are you familiar with the Mayfield Four? I know that name, but uh, I don't know. Yes, if it's Miles Kennedy name. is their singer. Oh, Miles yes, Kennedy. that's why. Yeah, Miles Kennedy, who yeah. is, of course, in Alter Bridge and with Slash yes. and the Conspirators. Yes, I, I, I they, so yeah, that's the you know, that's a that's one of those guys who's in like five bands, Miles, by the way, yes. including his own solo band. I mean, but yeah, so that, yeah, now that you say it, yes, I remember that that's that's yeah, that's Miles's band. Sure. Yeah, so I just you know, I just got a group of my buddies together and I was like, hey, let's do this song and let's do it as a duet. And I had written kind of like a higher harmony part for it, but it, it's stuff like that that really inspires me, it brings me a lot of joy, and I. I love singing my own music, but I really also love singing cover songs. And, you know, there's so many great songs out there. And right now I'm doing a little Aerosmith, but I'm also doing like. Well, I got to ask what Aerosmith song. Um, we're doing what it takes. Oh, OK. I love that song, actually. Yeah. Uh, Pump. That's that's when I saw Aerosmith for the first time when I was talking about the county fair. It was the Pump yeah. tour. I love that song. And it's, you know, they have so many hits from so many decades you go and see Aerosmith and you're like, oh, there's like 10 other songs I would have loved to have heard, but I heard like 10 other great ones. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like for two nights, yeah. you'd be like, okay, finally, we got yeah. it all. Actually, that's a, that's a great point. Aerosmith should do the thing that Metallica is doing this summer. Metallica is playing two, two nights in a city and uh, different sets each yeah. night, like entirely. And it's like, oh yeah, now that, now that we're talking about it, Somebody get that to Aerosmith, but yeah, I know that Steven's like seventy-five, I think. So he needs to like have like three days off between shows. So that's well, why they're they doing their last—they're doing their last tour right now. I think yeah, so I know, and I and I and and it's funny because when I saw them in nineteen ninety, the Black Crows opened, and it was like sixteen dollars. And I saw what they cost this year, and I'm like, well, maybe when maybe when the concert comes around, I'll I'll revisit whether or not I want to do it. Um, before we move on from the duets, just because you were talking about it. I don't know. Have you ever heard? I think they've done a few of them. If you know the, you know, he was most popular in the early '90s. But the musician Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles have yes. done like whole collections. Which it's I, I always like when bands will do stuff like that because it's you know like there's a there's a Raspberry song. There's all this stuff that was like I would never have thought like hey somebody should cover this. And it's always so interesting. So I, the this uh, the accidental duets is such a great idea. Um, you know, and I, I, I mentioned it because I literally just earlier this week fell down that rabbit hole because of something else I was doing. And I was just like, these are great. So, um, but and, have to that out. yeah, no. And it's, uh, you know, they, you know, it, their, their voices complement each other in a way that uh, I don't know that I would have thought about it. You know, I mean, he's yeah. a very, you know, that, that nineties alt rock sound. And obviously she's a, a pop singer from the eighties, but she has still, in, in this decade has a, an incredible voice, you know? So, oh, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But um, anyway, so instead of, instead of other people's albums that uh, I'm steering people towards, uh, let's talk about Cut and Run. Let's talk about the main song, uh, the the single that's out there. And 
where kind of it comes from, you know, the take a moment to talk about the song. Is it a song that you've been working on for a while and you felt like, okay, this is, this is the thing. I mean, obviously if you're going to start the record with it, you're going to name the record after it. Uh, you definitely feel that uh, you, you must be incredibly proud of it. Yeah. You know, I, I've been kind of stockpiling some of these songs for a few years. So I work with a songwriting partner by the name of Brandon Cook and, um, he and I just, we approach songs from all different directions. So sometimes I'll come to him with lyrics. Sometimes he'll come to me with, um, uh, you know, a chord progression or we kind of meet in the middle and we, we work really well together. And so it, it comes together fairly quickly when we get in into the songwriting mindset. Um, <clears throat> Cut and Run, I believe I had lyrics and a melody for it. And then he just wrote, you know, the, the really sweet riffs for it. And um you know, as we were writing it, I was really like, oh, how? Because he had a vision for it and I had a vision for it. And we, I was like, not quite getting where he wanted me to go with the timing of it. And then once I got it, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool, you know? And the whole idea behind the album is that, you know, I wanted to make a rock album, obviously, but I wanted to make it, firstly, different than anything I've done before. So I have a blues album out and I have an Americana album out, but this is like, the heaviest, like most in your face stuff that I've done yet. And I feel like it compliments me vocally. Like I needed them to kind of, to bridge, you know, cause I've done stuff that's like weaker instrumentally. And then with a strong voice, I just wanted to kind of merge it all. And the idea of the album is, is that it's a driving album. So you get in your muscle car or whatever, you get in your car, right. And you're driving the open back roads, you're driving across South Dakota in the middle of the summer <laughs> right. running your face and the wind in your hair and, you know, and just, just the, that good road trip in music. And so um, Cut and Run is full of, you know, the album itself is full of a little bit of a life experience, but, but it's not an overly personal album. It's, it's a lot of different facets that we pull from. Um, I think I said that backwards, but anyway, you know, it's, it, you'd hear a story, a friend talking about their life or whatever, or, you know, Brandon and I each put our own little spin on things and, and just kind of compiled um, you know, I feel like I still approach an album as it's a story. And so for me, it wasn't just like a bunch of singles. Like I'm still like, yeah, you put it on, you listen to the whole thing cover to cover, but you know, people don't often do that as much these days. No. And I think that's when you really appreciate when, you know, a, a band has set out to release every, you know, and I don't mean like the album's done and then you, you know, you trickle out uh, a song here and there over a few months. It's when the album comes out of like, oh yeah, we've put out a song, you know, every few months over the last two years. And then it just, it, it almost, it feels like a greatest hits collection when they do that. So when it's like, it doesn't have to be from the same session, but if it's like from the same mindset or the same time period from a band, you can kind of get that feeling, you know? And uh, I think that uh, it, it's always good to hear. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I, I still like to sit down and flip through a booklet when, when an album actually comes out as, as a physical copy. I, I, uh, I I'm still, I'm still into uh, CDs more because I can put them in a car easily. And yeah. uh, the example I always use when I talk to people is that I have two small children. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. So music to me is going to be like, well, what can I listen to with one earbud in while I'm doing the dishes? You know, <laughs> because it's not, it's not like, oh yeah, sit down with a cocktail and put on a vinyl album, put the lights down and put my feet up and relax because I'll fall asleep if I do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also have a five-year-old, but luckily like, he's into metal oh nice <laughs> so like you know he's like can we listen to sabbath like he's into like you know, 
stuff. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. Like, yeah. And, you know, he's into like all kinds of stuff, but, um, you know, he, he likes to control the stereo, of course, but uh, I feel you oh, like, I can't just listen to cover to cover as much yeah. as I unless he's not but but what you're saying about uh about you know good driving music is that's usually when i can listen i <laughs> I've, I've got a couple of albums and i'm like oh, i'm gonna be in the car for like an hour tomorrow so i get to listen to one on the way out and then on the way back and like that's really the only time that i can listen and fortunately my my uh my car's from uh 2014 so it has a cd player it has a cd so, player yeah. yes well and then I, I, this is usually my flex for, uh, for music nerds is uh, we have an older car that we inherited from uh, my father-in-law. Uh, uh -huh. he, he just wanted to get a new one. So it's a 1998 Lexus. So when I say I have a Lexus, it's, it, yeah, it's from 1998. But, we get it. We get it. Yeah. But <laughs> it's got a five CD changer in it yeah. and a tape deck. So I can listen to cassettes or CDs. So it's like, you know, what else do I need? So it's like a lot of times I'm like, Oh, yeah, the gas mileage is really terrible on that car, but I'll take that on that long trip. You know, I've driven that car to Vegas, loaded it up with five CDs. You know, it's great. So, so good. Yeah. So special. I mean, it's nostalgia, right? But there's just oh, something yeah. about being able to be like, yes. One, one of my hangups has been, you know, with the digital world, it's like, okay, but I want to I wanna look at the liner notes and I want to read a bunch of stuff. And you can put a certain amount on, but unless there's some app or something I'm missing, you know, you can't really do a lot of, the, the band photos and, and the extra information about who played what song and, you know, who's on the track, you know, I'd like to share all that stuff. So I kind of do it on my website, but this is not the same as getting It's not the book. same as, you know, like, you know, guest musicians. I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, a very early, early album that was important to me was uh, Alice Cooper's trash album. And if you were to not have the, the booklet that went with that, you might not know right away that, Steven Tyler, John Bon Jovi, Richie yeah. Sambora. I'm forgetting like three other guys. There's so many guests on that. Yeah. And I love seeing stuff like that. I'm like, wait, what? Steven Tyler's in that song? You know, just that sort of a thing. And like, you don't get that now. You're just like, oh, that sounds like something. And yes, now I can pick up my phone and Google it, but it's not the same. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? And I yeah. love the thank yous. You know, you're just like, oh, yeah. they're friends with this person. They know this person, you know? So yeah, I, I love all of that. And uh, obviously, Sarah Moon Music is where people can go to find it. I clicked on a link, and Spotify did open right away. So, cool. uh, or Apple Music. I think it's. Uh, I think it gave me a choice. Now that I, now that I'm saying that, but uh, it. And where else can people go? I want to tell them to follow you on Instagram, but then your Instagram is kind of like like uh, space bar double zeros, and so it's, it's like <laughs> hard to say. You know? There's a lot of Sarah Moons out there. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for me, but yeah, I, you know, I, I have, I mean, I have a Facebook music page that I'm kind of, I'm just starting to roll out all that stuff because I've kind of always kept it, my personal and music kind of all together. Um, yeah. But now I'm finding that there's a need to separate it out. So yeah, I'm working on getting more of the business page things set up and, and, you know, just having a little more privacy because, you know, you know, we're going to post a picture of your kid on your like band page. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, there's, there, there's always that line of like, oh, okay. You know, uh, I don't know, like in, in this, like a year and a half ago, I saw uh, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row and he brought his kids up on stage and it's adorable. They're like, I don't know, middle school age, maybe high school age. It's like, oh, that's so cute. But at the same time, you, you know, you know, there's a, a lot of, public figures that are like, no, let's keep that separate. So you have to kind of be able to figure out what works for you. And yeah, 
if, you know, I, I worked for a radio show for a long time. And when I started, I, uh, I, I just, I would get friend requests from yes. listeners on Facebook and I'm like, yes. oh, okay, they seem nice. And then you realize like, oh wait, they are nice, but then they have friends and then their friends might see stuff. So then it's like, okay, I guess I have to have a second Facebook now, you know? And this is like, and it's just what yeah. happens. Like you're just 2007, like, oh, you know? So it's, it was it's like, that you're like necessarily close with. And so it's like, yeah, yeah it's all cool. Like I'm happy to, I'm more than happy to have, you know, people follow me on social medias and stuff, but I also want to provide content that's not like I'm providing the best content or whatever, but, you know, um, uh, I'm no influencer, but, you know, it, it's just nice to have a little bit of privacy between the two. And yeah, you know, absolutely. Maybe, maybe but, when you're a female artist, sometimes there's some stalkery stuff. So you kind of you know what I didn't even think about. I, 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 you know, I don't have to think about that. So yes, obviously there, there needs to be uh, extra layers. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, cause I mean, we just need to talk about the people who mean well and aren't even super creepy. And even that, it's like, oh yeah, you could spend the whole day getting, you know, writing back to people like that. So I, I can imagine. But yeah, so ceremony music is where people can go. Now the question is, uh, is there uh, much going on uh, immediately or maybe later in the year in terms of uh, performing, uh, getting out there and touring? What's, what's the plan for that? Yeah, so we had the album release show a couple months ago. Um, and, you know, we're just going to do gigs kind of every couple of months locally for a while. Mm. We'll see, you know, I mean, a few of us have kiddos, so it's kind of easier to stay, you know, in the Pacific Northwest at this time. But, um, you know, the long term goal is always to tour and get out there and, and see different parts of the world and go for it. So, um, you know, if if the right tour surfaces, I'll definitely take a hard look at it. And, you know, the band's ready to go. So we just we're just going to keep putting it out there until we can expand our audience to a point where it feels really, really good. Right. No, I mean, I think that uh, obviously the, the family ties aspect of it uh, is always a big consideration. And uh, you know, at a certain point you're like, wait, the only live music I've seen is the band at Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, <laughs> I, I think they might be using a backing track. Right. So <laughs> I mean, also, like a few of us, you know, like with my background, it's like, well, you just bring the kiddo with, you know, that's what happens. Yeah. Just get on the road. Yeah. And, and, that's you know, true. And, and you were saying that, uh, you know, he's, he's going to ask you to do war pigs. So, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, obviously that seems like that's the best place to go, though, is sarahmoonmusic.com. That's the, the beginning and end, you know, you can, you got all the links from there, you know, so you don't have to figure out the uh, Instagram. And uh, you're right, there are a lot of Sarah Moon musics in there, because I think there's a photographer with that name that uh, I, I came across for a second. I'm like, this isn't the right person. So no. I'm, I'm sure she's very talented at what she does, but that's not who I was looking for. She so. is, but yeah, she, she takes up all the bandwidth on the Sarah Moon tip. But, um, you know, oh, I just wanted to mention also that like the album is available on any streaming platform and I do have hard copies of the CDs. So I'll get your address so I can send you oh, one. That'd be great. I, I, I will, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's stay on after. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I also, I wanted to suggest something that I didn't want to put out on the interview. So uh, okay. yeah, so let's stay on for a moment. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, earlier this week, I, uh, spoke to uh, an author who wrote a book about the uh, the early 90s uh, compilation, No Alternative, and that's why that's here. But we talked a lot about 
CDs and what they meant to us in that time and how, so, and, and I was talking to him and, and he like tilted his camera and he had a wall of like thousands of CDs. I'm like, Oh, I thought I had a lot. So it's uh, there is still something. And it's like, you know, I think that the, the vinyl people get the most attention and I think it looks so cool, but Oh my goodness. Is it overpriced? You know, it's like, you yeah. see, you know, it's like, Oh, do you want this? Like, you know, the, the Led Zeppelin three on over, four you know 180 gram vinyl for 90 dollars i'm like no i I would love i would love to i would love to listen to that but no i don't want to pay for it can you if it falls out of the sky i'd be happy to catch it so uh yeah so i yeah that's uh something i'm a a big fan of and i would absolutely like to do that and i hope that uh, people head towards sarah moon music and uh yeah click on whatever their favorite uh, streaming app is uh and uh Hopefully uh, there's uh, so the, how long has the album been out? And that'll be the last thing I ask you. And uh, what kind of uh, feedback are you getting from people? Gosh, you know, I, <laughs> I kept trying to do like a really big release and then like world events kept happening. So I don't actually know exactly when <laughs> I released the album, but it was in, it was in the summer. I think it was August, 2022. And oh, okay. Yeah. There, I just kind of was like, all right, we just need things to settle down yeah. a bit. And, and, yeah, uh, it's like it's like yeah, we're gonna do it on March fifteenth, twenty twenty. Whoops. Okay, we're not gonna do that. How about January sixth, twenty twenty? Well, okay, that didn't work either. Oh my goodness, I don't know when to do it. So yeah, it's a there is there is kind of a, a little bit of slower rollouts. And you know, I I talk to a lot of musicians. I listen to a lot of musician interviews. You talk, you hear a lot of bands that are like, oh yeah, we finished this album like three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were ready. And it's like, it just wasn't the time to put it out. There were there were those two thoughts in the early part of the pandemic. There were, the bands were like, might as well put it out because we can't tour. And mm-hmm. and then it's like, but then now they have to put out another album and uh, holding back and all of that. I, I, I don't uh, envy having to make those decisions, but Sarah Moon, I was, uh, I'm very glad we got a chance to chat today. Thank you for taking the time, being so generous with your time. And I hope everybody uh, checks out uh, the entire album because it is out there streaming. Our audio audience will hear uh, a nice big chunk of Cut and Run and they'll be able to find more at Sarah Moon Music. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. Fantastic. Thank you. It was lovely to meet you. Joining me now is Chris McLaren, who will tell us all about uh, his current band that he has, Canel. They have a great new album called Crash, Burn, Repeat, 
and a single that's out. We'll talk about all that and so much more. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm uh, excited to talk to you about your career and the the new album. Uh, you know, I, I stopped myself from calling it a new record, but you can kind of do that again. You know, it's yeah, uh, you're able yeah, to call yeah. them records again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because I think the people who are going to look at this, certainly the genre, know uh, what records were the first time around. You know, yeah, for, right. <laughs> which right. makes me sound like, you know, I was, you know, my, my I had a pet pterodactyl or something, you know, I've been around that. Yeah, long. right. Your uh, your first releases came out on those uh, those cylinders that went to the Victrola <laughs> right. with the big, right. the, the right. big earpiece. Yeah. Edison Studio, yeah, in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah those wax um, yeah, cylinders. For... For people that are uh, watching us live right now on uh, Wednesday, the 24th of May, um, I wanted to comment on, uh, and I had mentioned this to Chris before we started, I, I heard about uh, the passing of Tina Turner, who is one of those, you know, I think people throw around the word icon a little too easily, but uh, I think that uh, she certainly has that status, you know, the, the oh, yeah. stuff with Ike and Tina in the, in the 60s, but then, uh, you know, on through... Uh, what was that? Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and right. you know, and and even that was thirty years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like a career that just continued to go, yeah. and uh, you know, obviously a different genre of music. But uh, it's hard to uh, not be able to have a moment to pay your respects to somebody who has, uh, of course, accomplished uh, so much as Tina Turner did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was lucky enough to meet her once, and she was very gracious. And it's it's one of those you know showbiz things where you just Hey, you know, you're in with a bunch of people, and I picked her out. I was like, "Oh, oh, oh that's Tina Turner." So yeah. I'm just, I'm very extroverted. So I just walked up and said hi, you know. Yeah. And she was, like I said, very gracious. I didn't take much of her time because, you know, she's Tina Turner. Um, but she, you know, she didn't, like I said, kind of iconic status where they don't have to give you the time of day at all. They could have just kind of, yeah, talk to this guy, you know, or whatever. But um, she was very nice, and she actually, by proxy, gave me a really good professional tip. Um, from her days, I think with Ike, but it might have been later, where the thing she always did with her hair, yeah, that, that was to dry her hands off because having a towel on stage looked unprofessional. So oh, that's how she wow. dried her hands off was she rubbed them in her hair. So I stole that from her. That's a that's a great note. And besides, you know, I mean, you don't want to do the whole robe thing like James Brown did. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, that's right. his. Nobody else gets to do that. Exactly. <laughs> if, if James is doing, that's fascinating. I, I never really thought about it. And of course, it's so practical. Right. You, know, you just have to figure. You know, even when you're established and having a, a, a decent enough career, you're still going to be playing in places that are so hot that uh, there's nothing you can do. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And when yeah. you're playing a gig and, and most people who haven't and which this isn't to you know, sound snarky or anything. But when, when you haven't played on a stage like that, you don't realize, let's say in her case, there could be 25,000 people. They're facing you and they're breathing your way. Oh, yeah. So you're getting all that CO2 for one and two, all that heat. And then you got the lights and you, you, that idea of being professional and like, hold on, you know, here, let me just here, throw the towel away. No, this is not a boxing ring, you know, so it's, you know, come up with something, make it look a little arty farty and part of the show. And okay, now my hands are drying. The mic won't fall out of my hand. Yeah. That that's how, oh, yeah. as, as just a concert goer, you know, you've gotten to the show early. If it's a small venue and you walk in and go, Oh, it's cold in here, but that's just because <laughs> it's going to get so hot. You know, one of, uh, one of my favorite uh, small venues, and it was 
practically tiny was uh, when I lived on the East Coast, there was a place called Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey. And the bands had to walk through the back of the crowd to get to the stage oh, yeah. and then climb off the stage and walk. So I, I once uh, saw this band Rocket from the Crypt, their San Diego band. They were around for quite a while and uh, they didn't want to do that. So they're like, we're just going to lay down on the stage and pretend that we got off. So uh, you cheer for us and, and call for that. And uh, I was just like, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, and I think it, and it wasn't like, you know, big bodyguards came with the bands and probably some performers who were there. But in general, the bands just walked through the audience and kind of yeah. got out of their way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's a place in Houston like that. And the Houston, oh, God, I remember being, there was one of the few places I was standing on stage and just kind of go, oh, you know, everything kind of flashes <laughs> before you. Sure. But yeah, it was so hot. You had to walk from the stage all the way through the club, which was like walking through a sauna and then turn around and walk the other way. But we did something similar. Saigon so kicked out did a couple of times. We're like, we're not going to go off stage, pretend, you know, we're standing behind the curtain and we can't hear you. You don't know. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just pause for a minute and then we'll start the encore. All right. And they're, they're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, poor theatrics, you know. Yeah, I know. And sometimes, you know, especially if you're playing in a city where they have a curfew, it's like, we don't have time for all that, you know, instead of that, let's get, let's get one extra song in. Uh, as right, part yeah, of right. Yeah. yeah. The one uh, we haven't played yet, y'all came to see it. Yeah. Right, exactly. Now, obviously, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, Canel, but uh, I, I was going through all the notes that I was putting together for you. And like with so many musicians that I talked to, uh, the early part of their career uh, has a uh, has a stop uh, dealing with Kiss. And you were part of a, a tribute band uh, called Cold yep. Gin. Yep. And that roster included uh, current Kiss guitarist Tommy Thayer yep. and then his bandmate from Black and Blue, J Black and Blue. Uh, Jamie St. James. So uh, yep. was this a, a full makeup tribute band? Oh, yeah. And were you only doing the 70s stuff? Because this, yes. when when was this? Was this like late 80s that you were in Cold Gen? Uh, 90 to nine, 91 and 92. Um, okay. Jamie called it because we, I mean, we were quite a, a, a tribute, but we had started doing it because um, as musicians do for their birthdays, they throw parties. So there'd be communal gear. The four of us would always get up. Mark Ferrar would get up too. He was our guitar player in Cold Sweat, and he was in Keel. And uh, Anthony uh, White was our drummer in, in Cold Sweat, and he did Paul Stanley, so he played guitar as well. But everyone would get up and jam. But we, the four of us was that combination. We just killed these Kiss tunes. It was just really good. Yeah. Um, so okay, you know what? It's L.A. You know, we're all between records. Let's just go play a couple of gigs. And this is t-shirts, jeans. You know, just playing the songs, sounding good. All right, we play. It was a Memorial Day weekend. Jamie says, "You know what? I think we should put on the makeup." And I was like, "Saint, you know, we, that's all we got." He said, "We don't have those costumes or anything." I don't care. We're either going to be the heroes or the goats, and I'm not being a goat. I was like, "Oh God!" So we put the makeup on, and just wearing t-shirts and jeans looks okay, <laughs> but the crowd goes crazy, and all of a sudden. We start getting more people coming and more people coming. So we're like, okay, let's modify the costume and maybe it's not t-shirts and jeans anymore. And um, then we finally just sat down and said, you know what? Let's just go for it. Let's pick a, an affordable way to do the costumes, which is a live. Um, yeah. And um, and use Jamie and Tommy's resources with Gene, you know, to not get a cease and desist, which we did sign something just in case they wanted us to stop. We, we would. But then it went from that playing birthday parties to we sold out the celebrity theater in Anaheim which oh, is wow. in the round. Yeah. And uh, talk, talk about a place we got to go to the stage. We didn't realize there's no way to get to the stage. <laughs> so we're backstage in like the, in the mezzanine or whatever. Yeah. And we're like, the stage is down there. We're up here. What do we do? 
how do we get to the stage? How do we get you know off? So I'm looking at Saint. I say, here's what. Uh, tell this, tell the lighting guys to just you know just do that chase you know that you do where you just see the, the, the sweep all over the arena. I said, and the last minute at the end of Kissing Time, which was the the intro, have them just train it on the door because we'll see that you know the, the lights come through the door. They hit us, and I just I kicked the door open and like did the big gene you know that sort of thing. Place goes bananas. I'm like, holy shit! There's three thousand people here. <laughs> what have we got? We're dressed like them. What do we got ourselves into? You know. Yeah. But that was a landmark show because Gene heard about that. And was like, okay, you're too big. You're too big. You can't do theaters. Nope, you can't do it. Nope, let's go back to the clubs. It'll be fine. And I'm like, dude, this is your thing. You thought of it. You know, I'm not gonna fight you. But yeah, it did. It, it got out of control. But Tommy there uh was and still is i think with kiss the secret weapon he's the, the quality control they all trust and account on um he's always just dead on with his execution and he's a fan uh and he really he translates the vibe of it as well as anyone could and uh, like bruce kulik i love great guitar player but they didn't want him to be ace and i don't think he you know he would be ace um whereas tommy tommy can do it and it's like you know if, if you're hamlet ace Frehley's the role let's bring in the right actor to do it and um uh, it was Tommy. By the way, I just compared Ace Frehley to Hamlet. In case anyone's listening out there, sure, why not, right? Yeah, no, I think. Uh, <laughs> hey, there's there's tragedy in both stories, but uh, <laughs> and comedy. Yeah, I saw I saw Ace a couple years ago uh, in the L.A. area up at a place called the Canyon Club, and he was doing the oh, yeah. entire '78 solo album. And uh, he he had said uh, that uh, yeah, I think it was early in that tour. And there were a couple songs that he had literally never played since he'd recorded the album. So it was right. like, all right, so, you know, get ready. But uh, it was go. great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's great that he's still out there and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, get, getting to see Kiss on the uh, the uh, the never ending farewell tour. Uh, but yeah. uh, you know. well, I think we've seen that. That's that's a theme, really, that, you know, I saw the Scorpions on the farewell tour in uh, 2000. And I think it was 10. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the the record the record was, of course, the Who who did a farewell tour in 1982. You know, so uh, that's right. I saw know, that. I, you're right. I, I, I saw that. So Milwaukee. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, no, it's great that they're still out there, and I've I've actually uh, I've I've gotten to know uh, a couple of the guys in a uh, Kiss tribute band uh, that have been around for about 20 years in the uh, the Cleveland area, and uh, it's it, it's all like with you know, Gene and Paul's blessing right until it's not, you know, it's like, it's all okay right now. Right. And if they do ever actually retire and then there's just the official kiss is basically a tribute band, all of a sudden they'll just be that one, you know, right. but oh, yeah. Uh, and they'll be cherry pick. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gene's favorite but, phrase when it comes to that is the lawyers are going crazy. It's got to stop. <laughs> yeah. The lawyers are going crazy because Gene called them. And, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it, it's always great uh, because, you know, anytime Gene comes up, uh, pretty much everyone has a story of Gene and, and you always do the voice. My favorite is I've talked to him about this a couple of times. I, I kind of make him tell me the story. I've talked to Mark Slaughter from Slaughter a couple of sure, times. Yeah. And uh, when he talks about how when they were opening for Kiss on the Hot in the Shade tour in 1990, right. you know, Gene was meeting Mark for the first time. Right. And, you know, it'd be like. I don't, I don't want to talk about Vinny. I don't have anything to say. It's great to see you. And then within 30 seconds, but I also hated when Vinny did that, you know, and it would just like, it would oh, turn yeah. into, it would oh, devolve yeah. into a Vinny oh, yeah. Vincent bashing. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And he, uh, but, he, cause Gene doesn't want to talk about Gene until it's time to talk about Gene. And everyone's, right. everyone's got a story about that. And they're just, he's just so in your face about it. And it's great. And he not, not just doesn't apologize. 
Just no, the, no, no, no. Which is Absolutely. that's half the fun, I think, to me. You just no, I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, what was that again? I don't sound like that. Do it again. I can't hear you. I don't sound like that. What? Right, exactly. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, one of one of those big characters that you need in rock and roll, of course. Yeah. Uh, and they've been around sense. so long now that almost everyone's got a really good gene story. Yes, yeah, everybody's got at least one. You right. know, exactly. And and they go, it runs the gamut in the business too. Like there's some people who just go, "Wow, how would you have a gene story?" You know, but they do. Like if Rob Thomas had a gene story, you know, like, "Wow, okay, but let's hear it." You know, I, what what's that conversation like? You know, bring it up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, talk about how, you know, you referenced Cold Sweat and now uh, you were doing uh, Cold Gin. And at some point you wanted to be in a band without the word cold in the name. Uh, I did. So how I does that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're like, no, no more cold bands. Uh, but uh, you ended up uh, with uh, Saigon Kick uh, starting with their second album, which yep. is the one that has the song Love is on the Way that I think yep. Uh, I mean, I still hear it at least twice a month on uh, Sirius Satellite oh, yeah. Radio. And, you know, the song's still out there. And oh, yeah. it was a it was a huge song, a big album, and there was a big tour. So mm -hmm. you kind of jump in in this big moment. Uh, talk a little bit about what that was like uh, for you. I mean, uh, you know, not to not to poo poo three thousand people in Anaheim in Kiss makeup, but uh, <laughs> it, it seems like that this uh, this was a pretty big moment for that band when you kind of jumped in, right? It was uh, mainly because they were my favorite band. They literally were. And I'd had the lizard, which was, it was coming out as I was joining the band it was being released. I was joining the band. They were actually editing the video for love is on the way. So it hadn't been out maybe more than like two weeks ish, I think. And, but friends at Atlantic had gotten me the record back in February. So I already knew the first one. I knew the second one. And when I got the call, it's like, Hey man, they fired their bass player. You know, can you be there Tuesday? Send them a package. I was like, uh, yeah. So I walked into that it was a total ringer. I walked in knowing everything. I knew both this because they said we play both records live. I was like, cool, you know, this is a, that means they're a good live band. And um, I had at that point, um, I was starving my ass off in LA. We're, I'm trying to find other bands. Cold Sweat had dissolved. Cold Gin was something we did for a while, but I also knew um, I, I, well, it was fun and I loved hanging around with Gene and Paul. We, we, we were in the centerfold of Rip Magazine, I think it was. And we didn't give them our names. Um, Anthony and I did because I, I didn't want to be tagged with the uh, the tribute thing because sure. that was at that time because there was no Arnell, there was no Tim Owens, there was no any of these guys who came up from the tribute circuit. Pardon me, they they just you know um, it was it was looked down upon, shall we say? So I was like, I'm trying no, to no, yeah, as opposed to now where sometimes the tribute band plays in a bigger venue than the actual band in some cities. You yeah, know, oh see, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another farm system, right? Yeah. So, um, so I, I I got the call and I go out with Saga Kick and hang out and you know we all get along immediately, which is really important because you're you know you're tra you're trapped with someone in a steel metal tube with tires for nine months out of the year. You better get along. You know, it's men in prison. You better you know you better watch it. And uh, we did immediately, which was great. But I just loved playing with them and I was so happy. And um, they said, "Look, man, I got news for you. We'd love to have you in." But you're the first guy we've auditioned. I'm thinking, how? I mean, you, you know, they were in Florida. I figured, you know, you're this band here. You got all your friends because you always go to the friend network first, yeah. right? And you go, hey, man, you know, we always wanted to get you in the band. Now it's your shot. I figured I, I was like 16th, you know, in line. Nope, I was first. And, and uh, Jason said, look, man, it wouldn't be fair if we didn't audition these other guys, you know. But, you know, you're the front runner. I was like, cool. So I got on the plane and go home. And, uh. 
I seen uh, my my now wife, and she said, "How'd it go?" And I told her, and I said, "I'm gonna go to Blockbuster and grab some movies, and I'll come back." Right? Again, dating the conversation. Right. Uh, I was gonna say just to just to make this an incredibly '90s uh, conversation. Right. I, I stabbed off at Seven Eleven and grabbed a large Jolt Cola on my way to Blockbuster Video. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and um, I come back, and she said, "Jason Beeler called." I was like, because uh, all I'm thinking is, you know, what their main dude who was always wanted to get in the band from their neighborhood got and killed it, right? And Billy says, hey, man, how you doing? How's this trip? I said, cool, thanks. Uh, how are things? You know, thinking, mm, here we go. Yeah. And he says, uh, they're great. By the way, the gig's yours if you want it. I was like, really? I said, when do you want me? He said, can you be here Thursday or Friday? I said, yes, I can. So off we went. We rehearsed for about a week, and then we were out on the road. That was june of 92 we didn't come home until may of 93 which uh that's uh fairly interesting uh timing of course because uh you know i know that the the band continued to have success internationally uh, in in the years that followed but uh you come back to the u.s in the middle of 93 and it's it, it hadn't you know the bubble hadn't entirely burst and not that uh, Saigon Kick was a you know a, 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 a glam rock band. I know a lot right. of people throw around the term hair band, but it almost didn't matter what you looked like. There was like, yeah, we, what we want is uh, the ne- the next Nirvana, the next uh, Soundgarden, right. and yep. really, you know, in in the, as part of that movement, some some truly uh, not very good bands got signed. And uh, some yeah. some great bands put out great albums that uh, a lot of people never heard. You know, there's yeah. it's like that that third Skid Row record, that third uh, Warrant record. There's a lot of stuff that people just never heard and still haven't heard to this day. So, uh, how did that uh, impact Saigon Kick? I mean, you're able to go out and, and do some international shows, uh, I'm sure. But uh, w- you know, contrast that first year in the band with what the next year was like for you. Um- we hit a lull to be sure, um, because a Atlantic didn't know what to do with us, right? Because we weren't rock, but we weren't alternative. We were definitely, you know, in hindsight, we were Saigon Kick, you know, that we were our own thing. And I, of course, was like, let's. Jason would say, "No, I got these tunes. What do you think of this one? Do you think it's too weird?" I'm like, "No, should we put them both on the same record?" And you know, no, we got a punk song and it's samba on the same record, so who cares, you know? Um, a dragon attack and uh, another one bites the dust are the, on on the game together. So I don't Madonna and Motorhead are like this in my you know CD collection. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> right. um, so yeah, it's it's slowed way down in the U.S. because yeah, you were we were just radioactive. I mean, nobody wanted to touch you just because I think because of the time period. And as you pointed out, the time period I think cost us more than the label, meaning like the uh, the, the the stigma I guess of, of that um, and. So we just did what we did, and um, we found out through our management that, and it's, it was such a Spinal Tap moment, and we all leapt on it. But we had gone number one in Indonesia. You know? <laughs> so Phil Phil calls me and goes, "Sex Foam's gone number one in Indonesia." You know, so we're, <laughs> we're just running with it. But it had, and we're like, you know, we're poor geography students, so. We should do some, and this is before you know these things, so you know you don't. Um, yeah, you got to spin the globe and be right, like, yeah, yeah. Here? no, no. What about over here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Had to go to the library. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're like, there's 250 million people in this country. Like, holy mackerel! So we go over there, and it's mayhem. We're playing the same place as Metallica played. We have bodyguards. We have th- two or three number one singles. 
that are just, you know, at home, Phil and I are working at a video store, you know, like what is going on here? So that contrast between, you know, the utter success of the songs, which is sure validation, and it was great to go and play and all that stuff, but then we, we get home like, we can't get arrested here. You know, what the heck's going on? Um, so it was a little frustrating, but I, I listened to the material at least, and I go, all right, well, we didn't let it affect, like, we didn't. We never phoned an album in. We never phoned a song in. We, we always gave it, you know, what it deserved. Um, and then it's fun 30 years later to have these people tell us, you know, this song was this to us, or my mother was in chemo when we played this for her when she was taking her medicine, or our daughter was born to this because we had her birth at home, or we played this at my son's graduation. And you're just thinking at the time, it's a song on the record. You know, you want people to like it, but you don't realize they've had 25 years to live with it. And it's it's really humbling. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, a lot of times, you know, some of it, it the, the public perception was fueled by by the visuals uh, oh, yeah. you know perfect example is the band winger who is a great band from that era but they had that look and not only did they have that look they had beavis and butthead going on and talking about how they suck and how they suck so much the nerdy kid wears a winger t-shirt while they wear metallica and acdc shirts yeah. and you know and also i think it's either lars or james is throwing darts at a picture of kip winger in the nothing right. Else matters video so it's like yeah, it, it almost didn't matter what you put out if if you were that band, uh, you know, and then Motley Crue decides that that's a great time to let's change singers, you know, and it was just like, right, and, you know, right? yeah, even even like you know, bands like Def Leppard had a problem, you know, and I mean, you know, they they were playing arenas, they played arenas again within a few, you know, within less than a decade, but it was like right there, it was like, all right, let's uh, let's sit this one out for a little while. So. Right how many years does that kind of go on for, you know, that uh, you're able to, you know, and it's funny because you'll hear about bands from that era that never, like a, a good example is a band like Mr. Big. They never stopped being bad in Asia and right. they still will like, they'll start yeah. off in Asia, you know, yeah. you know, and uh, the band Wasp played here in the U S for the first time in 10 years, but uh, it's not like it was the first time they toured. It was right. the first time they played in the U.S. Right. You know? So, right. Uh, so was it a lot of uh, international gigs uh, for the for the mid oh, to yeah. late nineties? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And and for us, um, it, what's interesting about America uh, as opposed to the rest of the world, if you play in a rock band, you're you're an artist, um, and what you do is your art, as opposed to America, where I think you're expected to outgrow it as a, as a um, a musician and as a listener, you know, oh, you still listen to, you know, what, whatever, you know, and we, I was then in high school, whereas in um, somebody in France, I remember getting, going, they went to this, you know, tree or uh, dissertation of how our, st our stuff evolved from album to album. And, and then it was really good. It was fascinating. I was like, wow, you're into this stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think it, we just had to kind of gut it out and deal with it. But then at, at a certain point, it just became too much. You know, I'd had a daughter. Well, actually, my wife had a daughter. Um, in 96. And I was like, you know what, man, I don't want to be the guy out touring on the road with a daughter at home. I just don't want to do that. So um, I put it on. Yeah, hold. I mean, that 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 song's already been written a few times. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. Then, you know, it's uh, <laughs> well, this cat's in the cradle. It's about a little girl. So uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Kittens in the cradle. Yeah. Um, so it was a, it was um, it was a tough decision at the time. And, and it's funny. You look back. It's like that was only a two year period of really having to like suffer. Whereas now you're like. It was only two years. We could have figured something out. Um, yeah. But flip side is, you know, I talked to my daughter today and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I was home. 
I'm not. Yeah. I have no regrets about that. No, absolutely. And uh, as I was reading, sort of uh, at this stage, the next thing you do is you kind of get into music licensing for film yeah. and television, right? And yep. uh, a few years ago, I talked to uh, I believe his name is Andre Cuomo. He or just Como, Andre Como. He was in the first season of The Real World. So he's the musician in the first season of The Real World. He still oh. does music now. Cool. But I talked to him about this very same thing. And, you know, and it's obviously anybody who watches movies and TV, you might take the moment to go like, oh, yeah, there's wow, there's a lot in there, you know. Yeah. And uh, obviously it's big business. It's great for, you know, an, an up and coming band, of course, but maybe a band that people hadn't thought about in a little while. Their song gets in a movie or on a TV show. It, mm -hmm. uh, it can... I, I don't know. I mean, it's can you know getting your getting your song on like the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack probably does more than getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in terms oh, of uh, creating yeah. interest or like oh my god, you know. I mean, a, a perfect example. I just mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, they they their trailer for that movie, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, has uh, the Rainbow Since You've Been Gone, which is you know it's a Graham Bonnet song. Oh, it's like right. you don't usually think of that rainbow song and you're like oh this is such a great song you know and obviously it's just sort of like connecting the dots with the right person right of like oh, yeah. i yeah, have yeah. this great song that would work really well for this talk a little bit about just getting into that and and sort of what that's like you know kind of trying to basically try it's almost like matchmaking you know like oh totally know, well yeah, and me director you know and it was a valuable experience uh, i got in started uh got started in it with uh Eric Gammon, who was a guitar player in Cold Sweat, um, and Mark Ferrari's like kind of had everybody and all this stuff. He was licensing music in like oh, 91 or two, where he just had um, all these CDs with all these tunes on it. And who just Mark's just so persistent. And he's such a good salesman. He just go to all the TV and broadcast uh, editing bays and the movies and all. And he would just sell and sell and sell. And then Eric got into it too. And what, the trick was you had to learn how to write for television because, as you pointed out there's little bits here and there that you don't realize um, how they have to be written and performed and recorded. Because when you're in a band, you think song, you think cool intro, verse, chorus, solo, chorus, chorus out, you know, this might be, okay, I've got to build it up this way. And it's got to stop twice. One's a cold stop. And then one's a sustained stop. Um, and you don't need a vocal. Uh, there's no guys in your band to fight with. So you, all, all your ideas can get used, which is fun. Um, and then it's really gratifying to be sitting in like in the house here and uh, I'll be in the kitchen and um, my wife will be watching something on HGTV and I'll go, just got paid. And then she'll go along a little more. Just got paid again. You know, so that's really cool. But like to your point about Gardens of the Galaxy, those musical directors, and I don't know the one who is for for that series, but God, they're good. They, they're just it's yeah. great stuff. But my daughter and son were watching the first one and I was in the other room and I'm singing along with everything as it comes on the on there and going, oh, wow, that's a cool. And they're like, how do you know all this stuff? I'm like, <laughs> fifth grade. That's yeah. all I know all this stuff. A lot of that is the director's name's James Gunn. He also did a, a series for uh, HBO Max, which as of today is just called Max, uh, called oh, Peacemaker with uh, John Cena and specifically, he decided, John, uh, James Gunn decided, that that character is really focused on uh, late 90s hard rock. So there's a there's an episode where the entirety of, like, Faster Pussycat's House of Pain plays in a way where it really fits the story and what yeah, he's remembering. Yeah. And, and I was just like, 
I, I was like, oh my God, this is like he raided my tape collection from, from like yeah, 1989, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's, uh, you know, there's, there's some artists, uh, you know, some directors that really spend a lot of time and they have the people they trust. And then yeah. sometimes you'll see a movie, you're like, okay, uh, let's take a look. Oh, Warner Brothers put out this movie, Warner Brothers Records. These songs don't fit in the movie, you know. No. Uh, but no. yeah, it, it really no. makes you appreciate it when it's well done, but oh, yeah. it also stands out when it's not, you know. Oh, no, totally. Um, uh, the, whoever does the musical um, supervision for The Walking Dead is mm -hmm. a real early 80s new wave of British, British heavy metal fan because I'll be watching that and going, Okay, that's Motorhead, but it's not Ace of Spades, which everyone you know now it's iconic. Sure. Everyone loves that song. It's like, no, no, no one wanted to hear me play it on my stereo in 1981. They got mad at me. <laughs> um, but it was like it was like Chase is better than the catch or like jailbait or um the hammer. I was like, Well, I said, Who's playing Motorhead? And, and my wife said, It's on Walking Dead. I was like, you know, and then two shows later, Saxon, um, Princess of the Night, I think it was, was from Denim wow. and Leather. So I was like, Am I hearing who what the you know? <laughs> So someone was into it, you know, and it, it was chosen, like you said, for a reason. And a lot of times they'll do what they call a temp score and they'll cut the scene visually to, let's say, Purple Haze. But then they don't want to pay for Purple Haze because it's a million and a half dollar sink fee. So they right. get a hold of guys like me and go, uh, can you give me something that sounds a lot like Purple Haze, but not so much that we get sued? Try. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And I have to say, I did it probably a couple dozen times and profited from it nicely but i only got one cease and desist letter where they said that's a little close but yeah. what we found out was the music supervisor had gone to the band's management and want to say hey we want to license this song and they you know said 50 grand or <laughs> no and uh and then they hire me and i go yeah sure and it was quote cl too close but but they already tipped their hand yeah. So, you know. Yeah, they, they let you know. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the most famous one of those would be uh, Ray Parker Jr. with the Ghostbusters theme because they went to Huey Lewis and they said, "Can you uh, give us a song?" And he was just too busy. You know, he had like the biggest album in the con in the world. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. And and so then Ray Parker Jr. is like, "No worry, I got this." And of course, the Ghostbusters theme sounds uh, a, a lot like I want a new drug. And uh, to the extent that they had some kind of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, sealed records, whatever you call that, where they weren't, neither one of them were allowed to talk about it. But right. all of a sudden, Huey Lewis's name goes on the songwriting credit for the uh, Ghostbusters theme. You know, just like how the Vanilla Ice song that sampled yeah. Under Pressure, all of a sudden it had all the members of Queen and David Bowie listed as songwriters. You know? so, yeah. Well, it's like, hey, wait. You gotta sometimes you gotta change it a little bit more is what, is what you're saying, Chris. Um, what I think when they finally got smart about it, instead of wasting money in court suing each other, they just include each other on the writing now. Um, right. I remember hearing a story about John Lennon when he was getting ready to do rock and roll. Um, Chuck Berry was miffed about something that they had done, it sounded too much like it, whatever it was, and uh, was threatening to sue. And John called him up and said, Hey, man, I'm gonna put like three of your songs on the rock and roll record that's coming out. and that should cover any you know anything you would have lost uh in uh in, in royalties and uh no lawyers involved no nothing and, and chuck was like cool done yeah sometimes sometimes it's <clears throat> it's just that simple you know i mean yeah. you're talking about the you know uh the new wave british heavy metal you know there's bands like you know guys who were in a band like budgie they have a comfortable living because Metallica did a song of theirs and put it on an album, oh, yeah. you know, and oh, it yeah. doesn't matter that in the, in the U S they, they, no one ever knew who they were, but it's like, no. 
we, we got a lot of those nice checks uh, thanks to our friends in Metallica. So yeah. Diamond yeah. Head, Blitzkrieg. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. There was um there was another one with uh Budgie. There's a Budgie song, I think it's called Rockin' Chair. Okay. And if you listen to it, it's Kisses 100,000 Years. And you're just going like, oh, my, you know? <laughs> it's, it's fun when those things pop up and you're listening like, hey, that sounds kind of familiar. Run that back. And I'm like, oh, my God. Apparently, there's a there's a cactus song called uh, uh, Let Me Swim uh, okay. off the first record. And it's essentially eruption, the way it starts. So badly oh, wow. that Carmine, Carmine Apathy got in someone's face in Van Halen. was like, uh, you guys uh, got a little close with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, and then they have, uh, you know, they, there's, there was that big uh, Led Zeppelin uh, were sued by the, I think the band was called Spirit. That yeah. had a song yeah, that yeah. sounded an awful lot like Stairway yeah. to Heaven. And there was just a, a huge one uh, that uh, his name, his, uh, it sounded like Ed Sheeran. Uh, Marvin Gaye. Ed Sheeran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they said it didn't sound like it. So. Yeah. Uh, well, know. Uh, there's, yeah. there's guys who are musicologists. We did stuff for uh, Victoria's uh, Secret. And uh, I almost said Victoria Principal. That would have been interesting. Uh, Victoria, no. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Could have been fun too, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did this. They wanted it exactly like really, really close because they couldn't get the original. And it went to a musicologist who literally analyzed it and said that we were in the clear. So if we went to court, we would pull in this musicologist and said, no, based on this and this and this and frequencies and time signatures and pitches and rhythms, they are not uh, similar pieces. But yeah, there's, there's guys who have... Uh, and ladies, obviously, who have uh, gone and testified for uh, musicians in those cases. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of cases, there's, uh, you know, the, the person who loses is like, that would have really meant, I mean, you know, the Marvin Gaye estate, uh, I'm sure, has uh, a lot of money coming in. However, you know, it would have been a lot more if uh, that had right. Sharon song. Right. But, uh, um, well, we could we could talk about uh, lawsuits and music licensing uh, for another half hour, but I do perfect. want to talk about uh, Canal. I want to talk about Crash Burn Repeat, which uh, I believe is the is the band's second album. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, though. Uh, no, it'd be it'd be the first, and you're close. It's okay. Crash Burn Rebirth. Oh my gosh, it is. Yeah, you know what? I well, maybe that find... would be good for the second record. You know, we'll call the yeah. second record. Then. Well, that'll be the. You know how a lot of times the same album comes out with like two or three new tracks. So that's there you what go. it'll be called. There you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, so it, Crash Burn Rebirth. My apologies. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, it is. It is the first one. Although the second one is written, and we are working on it. Um, the third one is sixty percent written, I'd say, and, and demoed out. But um, yeah, Crash Burn Rebirth started as um, an experiment um, because I love Thin Lizzy. Um, revered around the world. Here, everyone knows them as uh, Boys Back, back in, in Town. Right? Yeah. <laughs> maybe Cowboy Song. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, now uh, we did a gig a while back and um, played Whiskey in the Jar. They're like, oh, dude, you played the Metallica song. I was like, <laughs> no, we didn't. It's yeah. Thin Lizzy. So you know revered everywhere else in the world people just when you meet the the lizzie fans here i mean they're fans they mean it and i my th my thought was you know what i do so much in tv and film um that's all over the map um with saigon stuff when we did it, it was a certain way uh i have a surf band that does uh all instrumental i got four records out on that so it's like i want to do a rock band um and i thought well I'm going to give myself an assignment, which is, can I write an entire record like Thin Lizzy as if I were to like hand it to him and say, hey, man, 
this is all done. All you got to do is just do it. And they wouldn't look at it and go, well, that doesn't make sense. And that doesn't, you, you miss this, you miss that. Without sounding like I ripped off Boys Are Back in Town. Like, like you listen to it and go, okay, that one's Chinatown. That one's uh, Hollywood. That one's Angel of Death. You just gonna go, you just copy them. So I was like, okay, can you literally do it the way it sounds like the band would do it now? So I didn't want to create it like a period piece. Like Lenny Kravitz is so good at creating that sound from 75. I didn't want to do that. I was like, okay, how do I make this sound like now? Like if Thin Lizzy made a record now. And that's how it all started. Yeah. And uh, there's a, obviously there's that fine line where if you do that, you could end up with a bunch of songs. It's like, okay, yeah, it sounds very familiar. Uh, are you, uh, to <laughs> to bring it back to Kiss, are you familiar with this band called Classic 78? This yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it's such a great idea. It's like, well, what if Kiss kind of, stayed together and instead of doing the solo albums and right you know unmasked and the elder what if they what if they did these albums and it's like it yeah. sounds so much like they would have and it's a it's a great like what if you yeah know? But, yeah yeah love it but, yeah they, yeah it's like if they did the i think the original one was if they did another rock and roll over yeah right, right. exactly so so, the, so the, they were much more sort of that same idea though because you don't want something that sounds you know just like a song from rock and roll over you know, you right. Want yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I knew yeah. if I tried to recreate um, the production value from, say, Giant of the Fox, it'd just be a losing proposition because I'm going to be chasing the way that that album should sound. And you never you, you weren't there. You're never going to get it. Um, so those guys who did the, that, the, the Kiss stuff were much more ambitious than me in that sense. I just wanted to sound really a lot like Thin Lizzy, feel like it. But like we made the record today. Does uh, that process start with, uh, you know, just getting into like a rehearsal space and playing actual Thin Lizzy songs or is it um, all in your head? Like, well, what it's it's all from the what if point or do you actually start off like let's kind of get in the frame of mind and, uh, you know, play some of our favorites? All the what if. All, um, yeah. I, I do um, uh, improv comedy and, 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 and some acting and um, the whole idea of being able to kind of get into the character like, OK, this is a character. So how do I get in there and think like this? Because you'll be much more effective if, in your execution if you think like it as opposed to, I'm just going to copy it. Because if you're thinking like it, it's fairly endless. But if you're copying it, you run out of it when, you know, when the, when the, like the song ends. So we, um, Colin and I especially just sat down and said, okay, we kind of want to tune like this. Let's say, bad reputation. So how do we do it and we don't sound like we're ripping off bad reputation um or, or we can't do it you know like we're not good enough to be in thin lizzie um so it started that way and uh i think only one of the songs was actually played live and that's say goodbye so everything else was done um in studios and then sending drum tracks back and forth because there's four different drummers on the record uh barry Kurtz from shinedown mark dan's eyes and who was in little caesar's probably what most people know for or the river dogs um Rick Sanders, who was in Saigon Kick with me, and he was in a uh, band called STA, Super Transatlantic. And then Eric Rickert was in a, um, a band called, uh, I think it was Candy Ass, and he was in Action City Blackout and something else. And, um, you know, they all contributed tracks really well, and it kept it sounding fresh because one person wasn't just kind of dominating that field because because we weren't playing gigs, and you didn't have that, that cohesion you have a plan to, together, gig after gig after gig. So it was cool. Well, interesting because we've gone 
uh, we've circled around a couple of times uh, back to Kiss, and now it sort of circles around to Spinal Tap having four drummers uh, just on the one album. All alive, uh, though. I, I was going to say, I hope nobody exploded. Uh, no, no, not yet. Not yet. No. Probably just doomed them. If, if, that, if that happens, uh, save it for a live show. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> you, you want people uh, to see it. So the, uh, the song that's out, and I understand that uh, just within the last day or so, there's now a lyric video on yes. the Canal YouTube channel, which I have subscribed to right before I started talking to you, uh, for Take It All. Yes. Uh, talk a little bit about that song. It's the last of the nine songs uh, on the album. Right. And uh, it's, uh, it, you know, there's there's a couple of ways to do a last song on an album. You know, you can do, uh, you know, a home tonight or you see me crying and you can kind of, you know, just kind of like, yeah, all right, yeah. let's. Let's kind of fade off into the sunset, or you can really amp it up one more time. And uh, yeah. I appreciate uh, that, the latter approach. Oh, yeah, thank not you. that those two songs from Aerosmith aren't great. That's not my point. Oh, but, right, right. But but um, yeah, you go out with a bang. Um, uh, it's like to say you play rock and roll night and you set off all the pyro. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. The idea was um, also it's bookends because the record starts with a gong and it ends with a gong. Um, and with take it all, I wanted visually the idea of someone like Chris Jericho walking out into an, in a wrestling arena and just, you know, this, you know, this is mine, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. And then when Phil Verone, our, our drummer and on kick, who's now doing all the great video editing said, um, what do you, I want to do a video, lyric video for you. What do you want? What do you hear? And I'm just, I, you know, I hadn't thought of anything. So I had to kind of read, read the lyrics. Like, what do I see here? Yeah. And I said, think like, think like medieval wars, think Braveheart, think, you know, uh, just guys coming into town and just trashing the joint and just taking everything. And being of, I think I'm 88 Irish percent, 88 percent Irish, um, you know, Ireland was invaded time after time after time. And that's you know, certainly the, the theme of Emerald, Emerald and uh, a couple of other um, Lizzie tunes. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's chase chase it from that angle. Like like you're this is going to be a me medieval war and it's awful, and you've been bred to think that you've got to fight your way through us and and fight your way through it and just there's there's no turning back. You just got to come in and just get it and get through it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it, the the YouTube channel is just Canel K I N E L L and uh, the notes uh, reference the band name being short for something and I I wasn't smart enough to figure it out. So I'll have to think <laughs> Did you get know what it is though. I didn't come up with it. No. <laughs> okay. It's uh, I, is this a family hour? Or can I say it? it? You can say whatever you want. It's a, it's YouTube. So as long as as long as we don't steal someone else's music and put it over on the right oh, yeah, side yeah, of the yeah. screen, okay. we'll be fine. Um, it's when we were with um when I was with Cold Sweat, we were out with Dio, and Dio had mostly a a British crew. So when something didn't go right, instead of saying fucking hell, it was canal, you know. Um, <laughs> And there's this great meme of a guy. Um, there was uh, it's all over Instagram of people putting overdub video or sorry, overlaid video to um, "In the Air Tonight" by Phil Collins. And when it comes to the big drum fill, they're like, "I have a deer walking over a kid's you know slide." They have a kid <laughs> crashing into garbage cans on his bike. But one of them is my favorite. This guy, he's, he's a British dude. And he's got a guitar and he sits down. He's going to play a guitar and like you know show him up to his girlfriend or whatever. And then, oh, over he goes. <laughs> And the first thing he says getting back up is, get now! So it's, it's short for fucking hell is what it is. Which is, a, which is a great name. And when you do it shortened for that, then you don't have to worry about Right. Uh, yeah, it's like putting, you sneak one by the, the goalie there. Yeah, right. Exactly. You don't have to put the, the asterisks uh, in the band name. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's the song that's out now. And uh, what are the plans uh, in terms of uh, any... 
any uh, live shows, any touring, uh, more music. You've mentioned that there's what another album and a half, uh, pretty much yeah, ready so, to go. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what's the uh, what's the rest of 2023 look like for Cano? Um, we definitely do some live shows. Um, the trick is uh, Barry's obviously out with Shine Down for you know the rest of his life. Uh, although he's I think he's home right now. Um, and Rick Sanders is Barry's drum tech, so that's two of the guys out. So I'd have to. The best guy I think would be Rickard because he's here. I live in Charleston. He lives here. Colin lives here. Um, so doing a live show would be just deciding what do I do? Do I play guitar or bass on this? And Colin's like, dude, you got to play guitar because our solos have to sound a certain way. And, da, 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 da. and I'm like, yeah, but the bass lines are just so thin. He's got a certain thing to their bass line um, and the drum. So do I do that? And then there's less to worry about, of course, you know, about tapping on pedals and, and stuff. Um but then for the rest of the year, it's definitely finish up the second one. Um, I think there's one I'm going to um, rewrite. So those 10 are done. Uh, and then I have to finish the the, uh, the third one, which is a concept record. It's a Western ghost story. What do you think of that? Nice. Um, and, um, and then there's a, we, we got um, kind of, we, we get kind of bored with what we were doing in the sense that bored's a bad word. Maybe just kind of burnt out. Like, uh, you know, let's, do we want to do the song again? We have to work on the chorus. We have to do this. Uh, so we, we started doing a couple of covers, which became about eight of them. So we we have uh, the possibility of doing like an all covers record well, or we can just kind of sneak them in here and there. Right. And, uh, you know, also in, in this day and age, the way that uh, the music industry is now, you can always like, all right, you know what, this uh, second album's taking a little bit longer. Let's put out a couple of those covers so people don't forget about us. Right. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, right. You know, it's uh, it, it, I think that uh, you're not, as not a musician myself, but uh, as someone who consumes music, I think that there's a lot of pros and cons uh, for now versus then. You know, I think that, uh, oh, yeah. you know, in the in the access, the ability to interact between fans and artists, I think, is a lot better. Uh, you know, I mean, being informed is, uh, you know, you held up your uh, cell phone before, you know, it was like. You know, you didn't you didn't know when somebody left a band until maybe you went to go see that band. You know, I mean, there's oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, You're just saying stories just... about people going to see Kiss on the Look It Up tour, and they're like, well, "Who are these guys? Where's the Where's the makeup?" You know, right? And, right yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, I you just described my first two months with Saigon Kick because <laughs> at that point there was a three month lead time in rock magazines. So right. I joined, let's say June first. No one's going to know about this till end of August. Until yeah, they, right after after the summer, until like you know, Metal Age and Hip Parader, Metal Edge and Hip Parader can get it out there. Exactly. Yeah, so I can you sign this and they'd be going, yeah, which, which, which one? Are which you one's doing? me? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not on that. So um, finally, when yeah. All I Want came out as a single, my picture was on that. So, um, but yeah, the the lead time then was months, whereas today it's seconds. You know, you can have a band photo shoot, and boom, you, you post it in seconds. It's done. It's up. Not then. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's for good uh, or bad. You know, I mean, there's the, the kind of the fun was for me is like just going out and nobody knew what they were getting hit with. They're just boom, 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 boom. The band was yeah. excited. Now, there's not as much mystery as there used to be. You know, like over the weekend, uh, the uh, Foo Fighters uh, rolled out their new drummer, Josh Freeze. Yeah. And for months leading up to it, there were like two names that people were like, well, we think it might be this guy. And Josh Freeze was one of them, you know? So it was like, it, there's there's not like the shock that uh, maybe there used to be. Right, know? right. I mean, yeah. And but, um, with, um, and, and yeah, Josh, on my money was on Josh. I, I've just yeah. figured he was just going to get it. 
Yeah, right. I mean, it's uh, it, it seems like it. And uh, from what I understand, they did a live stream and they had some fun with it. They had some big name drummers who kept like Tommy Lee from Molly Crew walks in and people, you know, think it's going to be him. And now he's just it's just it was all played up for a joke Good. and stuff like that. And then eventually Josh was like, hey, why don't we play? And then they, they did like a, a free stream show. So Good. Uh, it's great. And uh, so, yeah, I think. Uh, in terms of the the ability to interact with uh, bands uh, these days, what's the best way for people to keep tabs? Uh, there's the Canal uh, YouTube channel, which right. is uh, very easily subscribed to. It, it doesn't yes. cost a thing. It's you know please all you got to do, do right is now. basically give the thumbs up, and then all of a sudden you know when there's a new video. Yes, please. Yeah, and Phil is uh, Phil and I were talking about the next one as well. Um, I'd like to do a live one in the studio, probably like me and Colin and, and Rick are playing some stuff and maybe I'll switch between guitar and bass during it. But um, the um, uh, Bandcamp, we're on Bandcamp where okay. you can get the, the, either the hard copy CD or you can download it. But I think if you buy the CD, you, you're able to download all the waves anyway. Um, and then um, I've got an Instagram page for it, but you know we want to jack it up and get some more uh, content on there. So pretty much uh, the previous... Uh, choices are mentioned but i my i always put stuff on my instagram page and my facebook page stuff will show up on the saigon page uh and then now as um we're kind of rolling out all the publicity for it we'll um probably have a better place to uh, have everyone come in and you know have a what do they call it a a, a meeting place or something there's a, the term they use for oh it. yeah there's uh there's like twitter spaces and there's all these different yeah. places you can go yeah and there's so many and you're like well which yeah. one applies to me you know right <laughs> like looking at a Melda Marcos's shoe closet, like well, you know, where do we start? Now, do these even fit? You know, yeah. so um, that. But yeah, if you want to go find it, find it. Bandcamp for sure. And I think actually Bandcamp it does. Uh, we we did a cover of Out in the Fields by Gary Moore. Um, oh, nice. And where we donate, um, there's a link where you can donate donate stuff to uh, the Ukrainian causes. So let's say you didn't want to give it to, I don't know, the U Ukrainian goodwill. You could, there's water, there's abandoned pets, there's, um, you know, kids and stuff for the kids for clothing, for, you know, diapers and formula, whatever. You can choose your um, your avenue of charity. Oh, that's great. No, definitely. Uh, well, uh, Chris, it's been uh, wonderful just chatting with you. And, yes, uh, you know, just... I feel like we could have uh, done another 50 minutes uh, just uh, going round and round on a lot of the same things we talked about. But I wanted to make sure that we let people know about uh, the the Canal album available now and Crash Burn Rebirth. I don't know. I don't know who called it Crash Burn Repeat, but that person's been fired. So uh, they're they've been canceled. <laughs> yes, they 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 were immediately canceled. Were. And uh, yes, uh, it was uh, very easy to go over to Bandcamp and uh, find a, a way to listen to the album. Uh, and then, of course, as you mentioned, you're doing something that's uh, not very popular in the record industry now. You let people buy the physical copy which includes the the digital tracks because that used to be the way to do it but then they realized well can't we get people to pay for it twice if <laughs> if right. we can sell them you know a, a you know a right. vinyl for sixty dollars and then also all the right. tracks for like twelve dollars so, right but what's you know. funny is if you take a a, 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 um, a suggestion from the music or sorry from the um, movie and TV uh, industry which I mean I learned a lot that was transferable a lot of cross-pollinization there. But think of how many DVDs you can buy that have a digital copy or they have a DVD and it's Blu-ray and just regular DVD now. You know, and yeah. they don't they don't blink twice or think twice. They just give it to you. I was like, well, it's not like it's cost you know um 
uh, wave files don't have any physical inventory. Right. Now, exactly. I'm not stacking up going, I got to move these things, you know. <laughs> so, it's a server yeah. somewhere, you know. Yeah, you, you have like a public storage locker uh, filled with wave files and MP3s. Right. You know, and, and they're heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Well, uh, Chris McLaren and I uh, really appreciate it. As I said, everybody uh, check out Canel. And for our audio audience, uh, you will uh, get to hear a little bit on the way out here at the end of the show. We appreciate all that. Please follow us uh, at Blackcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, and uh, thanks again to Chris. And we'll see you next time on it, man. The Blackcast. <laughs>
And I was seeing where this was going, and I go, oh my God, they're not going to lose everything, are they? So I hit record on the DVR. I got the whole thing, and we're going to watch one of the rare game show endings where the people lose everything and they leave with nothing. Christian looks particularly <laughs> troubled there. Are you guys playing Wordle with each other? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> You guys are both I have just- a friend who I have a friend who does a podcast with his wife and another guy, and whatever the wife talks, this is what me and Christian are doing. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, I, I can't shit on him for it anymore. Now, like now that I see myself doing it, but Erock's talking about some boring shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, figure what, what the chances. <laughs> Yeah, I should have had the clip for the visual while explaining it. That, <laughs> yeah, that, would, have been that would have been helpful. No, it's, not, it's actually not your fault, Iraq. I don't know what these no, guys I, are doing. You know what I should have done? I should have just shut up and sat there and just <laughs> yes, let yeah. the pause go. Yeah, right. Now that I'm thinking about it. And then they go, wait, what, what's going <laughs> on? I don't like know. A teacher. 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pull back the curtain for you guys. At that moment, I was texting Christian and saying, I'm going to fake a heart attack. And he was <laughs> texting me saying, I'm going to fake an earthquake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guys, I'm being swatted right now. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, right. That's hilarious. Could be a nosy neighbor. I don't know. I'm just gonna assume I'm being swatted. Well, this has been the Black Cast. I am I- your host. <laughs> you can find me at Christian DMZ. Jeff Duray, not on Twitter. The Blad Cast. Welcome to the stream. Who are you? One of the best podcasts you can ever see. The Black Cast. Whoop de doo. We're watching it. We got no Wi-Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Blad Cast with me and Carl. It was a great show. Who was the guest that got Cardiff to do the uh, mommy drinkers thing? Oh, I don't remember. Christian Blatt. Christian Blatt. Are you ready to play to catch an alien? Christian? That's me. Who I've never heard <laughs> hey. of before? When I was talking to Christian Blatt. Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500. Last time I checked. One of Christian Blatt's favorite people in here to talk to one of his other favorite people. Hello, fellow favorite person of Christian Blatt. How are you? Hi, other fellow <laughs> favorite person of Christian Blatt. <laughs> Our boy, Christian Blatt. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. <laughs> that was not my fault. <laughs>